Welcome to the B2B Marketing and Copywriting Podcast. I'm your host, Linda Malone, certified conversion copywriter and founder of The Copyworks. In this podcast, I discuss B2B marketing and copywriting strategies that attract quality leads and increase conversions. Let's dive right in. I'm excited to welcome today's guest, Alexander Forenzi. Alex is a performance-driven marketer with a solid record of accomplishment in overseeing marketing department strategies and key projects. Alex feels he's always been in the marketing world, including all of his odd jobs growing up, but started his professional advertising career at VaynerMedia as a media buyer and analyst, and later going on to lead and head the digital and social projects at Jet Fuel Studio as the director of strategy. So he's now currently running and operating his own independent digital advertising shop in Miami called Advocazi. And apart from being the go-to guy for digital ads, Alex was also a goat shepherd, goat shepherd. I'm assuming this doesn't mean the greatest of all time shepherd during his gap year while volunteering at a youth refugee village. So let's welcome Alex. Okay, Alex Forenzi, thank you so much for taking time to talk to me today. I'm excited to, to have this conversation with you. But before we get into the business questions and the ad questions, I have to ask, what is the story about the goat herding? It's in your bio. I've yeah. never heard this story. When everyone, when everyone asked for a fun fact, when I was pre-college, I would always say I'm a twin. That was like a good fun fact. But started to realize that it's not the most exciting fun fact. A lot of people know a lot of twins. Being a twin isn't that that special. I didn't um, know that you were a twin. Yeah. So, I am a twin. Oh, interesting. Okay. But a funner fact, I guess, was that I was a goat shepherd for about six months. So in between high school and college, I took a gap year program um, where I volunteered for the year. Uh, and one of those volunteering options was I actually went to a youth refugee sort of eco village. Um, so it was based in the north of Israel. If anyone knows Israeli history and culture, the foundation of Israel was really on this sort of kibbutz mindset and community. So it was people, you know, creating the land, bringing agriculture to the land, and then living off of that land. Everyone worked the same. Everyone got paid the same. So this youth village is sort of built off of that mindset to give all these kids from Africa, Europe, some even from Asia, responsibilities to really understand. So one of the good things about being a goat shepherd, apart from waking up at three in the morning to graze the goats for miles uh, and be out there for four to five hours was we actually would be able to take out some students from the schools and teach them empathy, patience, discipline, respect at the ecological center with goats and other animals, as well as plants, really showing them how to love something because they came from really difficult backgrounds where I wouldn't wish that type of trauma even on my worst enemy, right? Wow. So showing them that, you know, you could, you could build through love. Um, and if you want things to grow, you have to have patience and, and nurture them properly. Oh, it's interesting. Okay. So it wasn't just a matter of hurting them. There was a lot more to it. So it's, yeah. it's interesting. Okay. So now we'll get into the nitty gritty. So we're going to talk about paid ads. Let's start off with what's the biggest thing that people get wrong with ads? Is there one thing or is there a bunch of things? I mean, there's a bunch of things, but I'd say the biggest one that people get wrong is optimizing for the wrong objective, right? Meaning when you are launching an ad, you can choose, right? Do you want views, reach? Do you want engagement? Do you want clicks? Do you want conversions within conversions? Do you want view content, someone viewing content on the site? Do you want to add to cart? Do you want to do initiate checkout? Do you want to do purchase, right? So a lot of people build a model, 
assuming if we get this many clicks to site and we average a 4% conversion rate, we can forecast X amount of results, right? That's how nor normally people will build a model. Now, when you're running that model, but you're optimizing for link clicks, what you're really telling the system, whether it's Facebook, Google, or LinkedIn is, hey, show me a bunch of window shoppers, right? Don't show me people who take action because the system is just doing what you're requesting. If you're requesting, I want traffic. They go, okay, let's try to show this to people who are most likely to click, not necessarily take an action on site, but that will click an ad. So with that, yeah, you can see a reduced cost per 1,000 impressions, which you know really is the gatekeeper of scalability. Uh, lower CPM, you could scale farther. Um, but then what they'll notice is, oh, wow, our website conversion rate is at 0.002% this month. And it's because by prioritizing traffic instead of actions, you actually just brought a bunch of garbage traffic to site, right? Oh, okay. And now that just influences all your other business objectives like retargeting, right? Because now you're spending dollars retargeting to the last 30 day of website visitors, but it was garbage traffic. So that's a mistake that a lot of people make. Another mistake I see a lot of people make is going off their gut, right? Not testing something before putting budget behind it, or not really testing out a concept idea before going into production, right? Where the way I really like to approach ad concepts and strategies with my clients, whether B2B or B2C, um, is the focus on what is the reason to buy? What's the concept? Is it made in America? Is it you know access to a live dedicated expert? Is it the social proof? Is it the authority proof that you were featured in Business Insider, Forbes, and Fortune, right? What's the reason that you're baiting someone to, to respect you and consider you right now? And rather than testing those concepts first, right, some companies may go into a full video production and they think concept A is their winning concept. They'll invest, you know, five figures, even six figures sometimes on a video production and the assets and the edits and the actors and everything. And then they put pay behind it and it just flops, right? So it's right. Let's start off. Can we start first with text-based and see what resonates? Can we start with graphic art and some images and see what sticks, right? Can we do some manipulation on Photoshop to do iterations and see what sticks or right? Can we repurpose and re-edit and reformat a bunch of your video assets to try to piece something together? Can we use stock video with just some overlay text to really see if this concept works? And then once we test those five concepts, then we could say with confidence, all right, it's concept one and two that are driving 80% of the actions. I think it's time to invest in some, you know, custom content produced for this concept. So it's right. Addressing the plan before you start spending dollars, right? Trying to figure out, are these dollars best utilized, um, best invested here? Um, and in my mindset, it's always, can we test with some investment? determine the success, and then invest more into the digital campaign. How often do you get pushback from people who are like, well, we've been doing it this way, or we don't have time to test? I mean, is that a common thing, or do they usually listen to you? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, a lot of times the fear is, well, we don't want to stop our current, right? You, we, we want to improve the current system, but we mm -hmm. don't want to put the current system on pause because we need this constant juice coming in, right? right? So. When that's a concern, we could always reduce the budget of what the past campaigns have been. We do our own optimizations just off of quick edits and some quick analysis and, and an audit on the account. Mm -hmm. And we'll refine those campaigns while in tandem we're launching testing. Um, I've had had clients, right? They're like, hey, we need this live yesterday. 
Um, normally what we try to discover there is not how can we appease a client or a prospect by trying to get it done fast, but going to the root as to why, why does it have to get done yet? Why did it have to be done yesterday? What is the other pain point? We'll try to go deeper on that pain point. But what we always tell everybody is if you're rushing, this is probably not a good mindset to have, right? The, nothing good happens when you're rushed. So let's take a step back. Let's assess why there's doubts on the change. Let's see if we can address those. And then we're going to go and test. But to assume, I think anytime a business organization, whatever it might be, personal brand, a coach, whoever it might be, is looking to go into ads, I think testing is vital. It's just going off of a gut assumption and, and, and that you're going to be right. And I'm sure you can shed some light on this too as a, as a conversion copywriter, right? That when just because you think you're the ICP or you think you're the target demographic doesn't necessarily mean that you are the way they speak, the way they write. Right. So it's uncovering those first. And so you talked about testing. So how do you test? Like what are you kind of touched on it, but what are some of the, the ways? Yeah. So I might get a little too nerdy and too technical, but I'll try to. <laughs> get, so I might detail, have to ask you to define things. Okay. Yeah. But essentially it all comes off from first figuring out what are going to be the concepts because the concepts will guide the testing. And essentially what we're doing is we're trying to look, trying to determine what these concepts are and the way that we strive to achieve this. And Linda, you know, it's a great collaboration together, right? Is, is through these voice of customer audits, really uncovering these deep, deep insights, um, the vernacular, the language, right? Um, the reason to believe whether emotional or functional and within those two pillars driving even deeper. Um, so it's first uncovering those, then determining what the concepts are going to be. And then essentially it's leaning into all the best practices that the platforms allow us to have. So one can run an ad with a single ad unit, meaning I'm going to have one campaign with 10 ads. It'll have my three, it'll have my two images across all. So I'll have five of one image, five of the other image, and then I'll just have different primary text and different headlines. So you're basically trying to do AB testing, but you're really doing like three variables or four variable testing and they're all sort of created. And then you also have a limit, right? Where now there's multiple ad sets, multiple ads. It's making the account and the machine learning, right? The AI having to go through more hoops to determine how is the spend gonna be spread out evenly. So what we do first is we actually isolate the creative elements and every ad has three core creative elements. You have the asset, right? The image, the video, the GIF, the graphic. Then we have the primary text and then we have the headline as well as the call to action. But in today's world, really these call to action buttons are pretty limiting and the platforms are just basically allowing us to choose from a dropdown instead of editing and customizing the, the CTA button itself on the ads. So once we have those three creative elements, what we do is we'll create dynamic interchangeable versions of primary text, headline and assets that all work interchangeably because they're tied to the core concept, right? So let's say the concept is made in America, right? All the images need to allude to made in America. The headline needs to stand out as an American product manufactured, how many years have been in America, their family American business, all the goods are sourced from America, built in America, supporting America, right? All those headlines could be interchangeable and the primary text has to be interchangeable. But we'll run all of those isolated, independent together. So the ads aren't the best looking ads, right? Imagine an ad with just primary text, no image, no headline. 
And then imagine an ad with just a headline, no image or primary text. Now imagine an ad with no primary text, no headline and just an image. So we're really isolating every single creative element to see which one of these has a standalone drive actions. And we'll weight that based off ad recall rates and the click volume. And on this, it's link click volume as well as click through rates, right? And cost per click. We'll just measure those as weighting. We'll then declare our top winners. And we'll do that about one to two rounds as a start. And those testings are set on an automated rule of 5,000 impression count for each. So we can really go through this testing with just a few hundred dollars of investing, $300 to $500 a month to get through this concept testing. From there- These concepts are live. I mean, they actually are being run in front of yeah. people. Yeah, yeah, in front of a broad audience. In front of a broad audience, that's just the age, gender, and location of where you could service these prospects. Mm -hmm. We're not going into your email list. We're not going into retargeting. We're not going anything because these ads aren't the best looking ads, but they really are great at driving and, and determining intent and action because they aren't the best appealing ad. Now, what we'll do is we'll extrapolate the top two to three creative elements by each of the, of the branded estimated action rate testing. That's the phase one, branded estimated action rate testing. From there, we'll loop those together. And now we're leaning into the toolkit that all the platforms give us with dynamic creative, right? In there, we'll now tell the system, here are our two images, two videos, our two headlines. And really, we just had one primary text that really was driving the action. Okay, great. Now you want that number of those three independent uh, creative, uh, creative elements to be no more than 12, no less than eight. Eight to 12 is that sweet spot. So if it's two primary texts by two headlines, we're now at four. By two assets, we're now at eight. That's great. We could run with those. We'll run those now on a conversions-based objective. So the first one was brand awareness, just to get that ad recall, just to get those clicks and the cost per click weighted as a baseline. Moving it to dynamic creative, we're now using that ad unit tool and it's just optimizing for conversions. What we'll do is we can see, because we have it segmented by concept at the, at the audience level, where it's, it's just concept segmentation, the audience is identical. So from there, what we're really extrapolating is what is the top creative element and post ID from that dynamic set. We then go into our third stage of testing, which is called proving ground. In that third stage, we're essentially saying, hey, Facebook, hey, LinkedIn, hey, Google, hey, whatever platform we're buying on for, for our client. We wanna see if this one ad does better than the combination of eight to 12, right? And if those are the three top elements, it should be doing stronger because at this point, it's not having to have wasted spend or inefficient spend on the other elements. It can just focus on one single element per or one single option per those creative elements, right? And then if it, what we determine to move it from that proving ground, third round of testing into a control business as usual, you know, high confidence asset that we could scale behind is that proving ground cost per conversion needs to be more efficient than the dynamic one. If it's not, we don't advance it. We'll move it back into dynamic creative testing. Um, but just to share a, a little nugget in case people start to follow this tactic and strategy, I encourage everybody to, to do that, is sometimes you can get stuck in dynamic creative testing or you can get stuck in proving ground where you have a good ad, but it's just not winning by enough margin, right? It's a 20 cent difference or a 70 cent difference not that big of a difference. And what I tell people and clients is, and prospects too, is it's okay to stay in dynamic creative testing for months on end, right? I have a biotech 
a customer that I'm working with where we've shattered, you know, record target sales goals monthly for the last three months. And we're still in dynamic creative testing, right? It's not indicative of if you can't get to the next step that you're not winning, right? It's just, we just haven't uncovered through the customer insights, what that real concept is or the iteration of that concept that really, really stands out. Um, is there a time guess, length? Like, sorry to jump in, but how long does it take for this testing? Because so you're saying that some of these ads run without actually fine tuning them. Like, so how how long do you suggest to clients? Like, you need to run it for a certain amount of time before you can say, yeah. hey, it's working or not. Yeah. So the branded estimate actuary rate testing, depending on the client, we'll either run this monthly, so it's the first week of every single month, or we run it quarterly, um, first week of the quarter. Um, branded estimate action rate testing should not take more than three to six days. Like you can get out of that testing really quick because again, that baseline is on brand awareness objective. We're just trying to see, and we have a 5,000 impression rule. So we're controlling how much of a sample size each element is getting 5,000. That's our sample size. So everyone's getting the same opportunity. There's equity here for all the elements to compete. So everyone gets the same opportunity, 5,000. Now it's what are the results? From there to dynamic creative testing, it's really unknown how long you can be there, right? I just said I have a client who's been three months in dynamic creative testing. Doesn't mean that it's poor, but what we do is every single month we run Golden Bear, which then adds to our dynamic creative testing. So it's, it's not don't give up after a month. Don't give up after three months. You might be six months in dynamic creative testing. It's just we haven't uncovered that winning sort of Facebook lottery ticket number that a lot of people talk about with Facebook ads. Like, oh, you just got to get that ad and you're a millionaire. Like you can just scale that ad. And it's like, absolutely. It takes time to determine what that control ad is. But once you have the control ad, it's going gonna, it's gonna to give you consistent, consistent returns at a good rate. But one thing, just to go back to your, to your initial question of a mistake a lot of people make when it comes to ads comes from, right, everyone's heard this double down on what's working, turn off on what's not working, right? Now, that's a good approach to efficiency, but it needs to have some context. Now, if you're spending on some ads and they aren't getting you any actions, you should turn those off, right? That's, we're not getting any actions from this ad. But now let's say we have ad A that's getting us 20 conversions a day. And then we had ad B and C that are getting us five to three conversions a day. I would not turn those two ads off, right? The bottom performers, as long as, the cost per result is equal or less to the one that's bringing in the biggest volume. In another situation with another vendor, perhaps someone could say, no, we're going to turn off three and five. We're going to keep the one with 20 conversions a day going. Now, the analogy I used to, I like to share with this example is it's like the factory worker employee, right? Imagine you have a factory, which is your business and the employees are the ads. You have one employee that does 20 bed frames a day and the other two do three and five. Now, when you tell the 20 bed frame employee of the month, hey, I need you to make 28 bed frames this month, that employee's efficiency is going to drop because they can, they're really good at doing 20, but they can't do 28. 28, the, co the cost starts to go up. So why not keep B and C in there at five and three at a relative cost to carry over that weight? Um, so that's the example I like to give. And if anyone out there is a sports fan, right? It's like, Michael Jordan could not have won all those championships on his own. He needed a Scottie Pippen. He needed a Steve Kerr. He needed Dennis Rodman. They weren't averaging 30 points a game, but they were giving him five rebounds, 
three assists, a couple of three pointers, right? That help him like this. Right. So when we're looking at our analysis, we don't want to just find the all-stars, right? Well, we need an all-star, but we need a good roster to support that all-star so that the all-star doesn't have to take the burden of the work and take on those additional actions. Makes total sense. But I could see how it would be tempting, you know, well, these aren't working, so we should just turn them off. It, it just, it, you know, on the surface, it sounds like it makes sense. But then when you explain it, it totally explains why it's not. Yeah, as, long as, as long as you go back to that cost per result, right? If you're just yeah. seeing 20 results a day versus three results a day, but the costs aren't the same, like the three results a day is at three times the cost at the 20 results a day, then that, that should be into consideration of we need to turn this off. But mm-hmm. as long as costs are equal to a little bit higher, or, li- or if they're under, definitely don't turn it off, right? We're getting some level of efficiency here. Mm-hmm. And to assume that the consumer journey also is just a linear path, which we all know, nothing in right. life is, is linear, except for right. linear TV, is they're going to see the ad, they may take an action, but then they may see a two or three other ads, and then they take an action on a fourth one. Like, we don't want to discredit what the impact was of ad two th- and three, it could have nurtured in some way. It could have been from another concept. So as long as we're not seeing wasted spend and it's nurturing it, right? We might be seeing a lower cost per landing page view on some concepts, but we're not getting the conversion. As long as you have campaign budget optimizer on, right? And you're not spending equally across your ad sets and you have rules that dictate spend is is a meritocracy, right? Whoever's driving actions is going to get the spend out of this mix. You can have some campaigns that are spending $30 a day here, $60 a day there, even $100 a day on an ad set, meaning a concept that isn't driving actions, but by default is helping the other concept drive more actions. Yeah, makes total sense. So, of course, I have to ask this because this is my line of work, but what copy is required to run social ads and how does it differ between the platforms? Because I'm very familiar with Facebook, as you know, so I know what some of those answers are, but what are, what's the copy and, and what are some of the limitations on copy? Yeah. So, I mean, depending on the platform and also depending on the placement, right. Where, you know, Google has a, a, a hard stop on constrained characters for Google search, right. That when it comes to your headline and description, you just cannot go over that certain character count. So you have a lot of times where the copy needs to use shorthand version, right. Instead of supplement S U P P period. Right. Um, you could lean into that on Google. Um, Facebook recommends to not go over the 280 character limit on the primary text. However, that's just a recommendation. I've done copy tests where it's short versus long versus medium. And depending on the industry, depending on the product or service, depending on the concept, being under the 280 is, is a winning move or being over is a winning move, right? So that's something to consider um, as well as just the overall regulation and privacy concerns, um, those are starting to ramp up across all the platforms. I'd say the one that was probably the most proactive in all of this has been Google, where Google has really limited um, their policies, especially around sort of divorce and even cancer, um, to protect the integrity and the privacy of the person doing search, right? Where imagine you're searching uh, for divorce lawyers, not that you would or are, right? But imagine you are, and then your partner comes onto the computer and starts to get retargeting banners, right? That's something where Google has determined they don't want to cause that. So they don't allow. Same thing with cancer. What if they haven't told their partner yet about cancer? So you have that limitation and constraint. Facebook is starting to roll these out and they've gotten a lot more aggressive on their policy checker. All of these policies are available online. One specifically, right? 
and I think most people are aware about, but maybe some beginners struggle with this early on is the personal attributes policy when it comes to Facebook. It, it really limits the ability to use you in, in direct communication. It limits your ability to speak directly to your customer by putting any of their information, right? You can't directly call out ethnicity, race, and gender. You can't directly call out age. Um, when it comes to credit, housing, policy, politics, there's additional regulations. So a lot of these platforms have their rules and they're pretty open about their rules. Um, one thing I've noticed just in the last month, I'd say really since 2022, maybe two months now, has been that Facebook got really aggressive with their policy enforcement and it's, and it's flagging things incorrectly. Um, and a lot of times what I try to tell customers, prospects, peers who are also in the space and our media buyers themselves is to be very cautious of that. If you get flagged, don't just appeal the ad immediately. Figure out what is the policy violation that they've quoted you on. Determine, sift through the content, sift through the copy with a fine tooth comb, the video assets themselves, right? And determine, did you actually violate policy? Because if you did violate policy and you're appealing it, Facebook's got a score for their advertisers and, and brands that are advertising. The quality score, conversion score, engagement score. So a lot of people talk in marketing and in B2B marketing, respecting the customer, right? Respect the customer. If you want their loyalty, respect them, right? Meaning if they opted out of retargeting email communication, don't loop them in an email list. They explicitly told you they don't want that communication. It's going to cause more headache if you add them to the email list. Same thing goes with the copy and, and, the, and the experience you're giving them. But on the flip side, it's respecting your partners, right? If you're advertising, Google is your business partner. Facebook is your business partner. LinkedIn is your business partner. Without them, you will not be able to achieve the performance or reach that you desire. So we need to treat those business partners with respect, abiding by their policy and not abusing the system, right? Where sometimes you may not get flagged on something when it's a landing page views objective, but as soon as you put it into a conversions and purchase campaign, it's going to get a stricter guideline. So don't try to circumvent the system, right? Okay, it doesn't work there, but it does work on landing page views. Why don't we crank up the spend on landing page views? All of this stuff is being stored on your account quality uh, when you log into your ads manager. So you can see how many policies you violated, how many were overruled, how many weren't. And when you're a new time advertiser, you're almost always going to get flagged on your first campaign, whether, whether incorrectly or correctly, you are going to get flagged. It's always good to start off with policies in mind, right? Don't, in, don't ruin, don't break any policies because then at that point, there's a magnifying glass over you. Aren't there some industries that are more prone to being flagged? Like I know health, cause I'm, you know, from the health and fitness background. I mean, what, yeah. what's tough that just kind of a side note too, is that as a conversion copywriter, everything I write is geared to one person. So it's the opposite, you know, to, to adjust my copy to an ad where it has to be general is completely opposite of what I usually do. It has to be one person and you have to dig in with what makes them that pain point. And you can't do either of those things on like a Facebook yeah. ad. So it's tough, yeah. but are there some industries like health and fitness that are- Yeah, health, health and fitness is super tough. Before and after photos used to be allowed on Facebook. They're not, they haven't been allowed for a while now. So yeah. that's a limit, right? You can't really show people on a scale, right? Like that's, that's one way to try to get around you, but you can't show an individual standing on a scale. Like the Subway um, prompted figure that sort of lost the way. I think it's Jerry from Seinfeld, uh, from Subway. Where Jared, has, yeah. Jared, yeah, he has sort yeah. of that picture of him with like, uh, you know, he fits in one leg of his jeans. Right. Like that is not allowed, right? Because that's, that's overly dramatic. So health 
and wellness get get hit hard. Finance gets hit hard. Banks, credit hard. opportunities that gets hit hard, um, as well as legal. Legal gets hit hard, um, and basically a lot of coaches as well can get hard. Um, it's Facebook is really tough on any sort of guaranteed results, right? Right. And right. a lot of people like to use that as sort of their marketing language. Trust us because you know our customers experience seventy percent revenue growth. That's that's that could be factual, but it's something that could be misinformed, and Facebook's going to flag that. Wow. Yeah, I know when I had my fitness business and I was running my own ads, um, I had an ad that had just a picture of a tape measure, and yeah. Facebook flagged it. They said that makes people feel bad. It wasn't somebody with it around their waist. It was just literally a tape measure in the image, and they said nope. So yeah, they're really strict with that. Yeah, um, I have another. I have another B two B client that is providing video services to other to other businesses, and we were running a, a concept on sort of social proof, right? And and the objection that a lot of their members or customers now have when they signed up for this video service. And one of the reasons to believe in this video service is, you know, lawyers are promoting content on social, but it's not geared towards a conversion. It's not geared towards building no like and trust, positioning yourself as a subject matter expert. So in our video ad, right, this is a, a video ad for a video company. We wanted to make sure it was a video, if it's a video company. Right. So the ad is focused about the success of one of the customers, one of the clients that have, have experienced lift on their Facebook ads and on their Facebook organic post since repurposing the video footage on those platforms. Now, we got flapped on that because Facebook said we were using their no like and trust. Now, there was one shot of about a second that had the Facebook thumbs up like button and the YouTube button. And we're using that as, as signals to the viewer that this could work for social and on YouTube. Now, the client testimonial is also saying that they got 29 consults booked off of that video ad so it can help grow their business. That's another policy. We cannot make claims that our services will increase one's performance on Facebook's own products and services. So there's a lot of flagging happening right now and it's, and it's really aggressive. And sometimes when you're either a small advertiser or as a brand organization and company, you're working with a more boutique vendor, if they're not spending you know, millions of dollars a year, they don't have a dedicated Facebook rep. And without that dedicated human inside, it is extremely tedious and extremely difficult to get a response. You can try customer support chat if you can find it. Sometimes it's difficult to even find that option. And then by the time you do send a support ticket, you might get sent through to three or four different departments determining, oh no, you need to go to this one. And by the time you're done, the issue still hasn't been resolved. So you know you're gonna have these issues as a new advertiser or new organization company advertising on Facebook, LinkedIn, or Google. So ensuring that from get-go, everything is abiding by policy. So just don't get any flags as, as you're getting started. Yeah. And it's tough if you're just like, like a small business, like you said. So what do you think moves the needle with ad performance? With ad performance, I really think that the creative is king, right? Where the visual, whether it's a video or a graphic or an image, that is going to pull in the eyeball, mm -hmm. right? And then from there, the eye goes to the headline. And if the headline gets them, they may click. And if the headline doesn't get them, then their eye may go up and they'll skim the primary text. So that's where I see the ranking of what we need the creative to push for us, right? That, that visual asset needs to stop the scroll. 
the headline to me is more vital than the primary text, right? The headline needs to get the point across. The headline can't get the point across. They may not even read the primary text, right? It's almost like we need that headline to get them to read the primary text. And I think you've shared this a ton on LinkedIn too, right? Where like how many people are actually reading the primary text? They're just kind of skimming through it. So for me, it's, it's headline over primary text. And on the primary text itself, and even in the headline, whether it's B2B, B2C, the end decision maker is still a human, right? It's still a person at the end of the day, regardless of they're the VP of marketing or the senior marketing manager or whoever it might be. It's a human making a decision. So communicating like a human so that they, if, if you're talking about your service, don't talk about your service in jargon. Talk about your service with raw vernacular colloquial terms that everyone understands. Answer the call. It's, oh, I dial the phone, it's always answered, right? Calls returned in, in less than, than four hours, right? Whatever that is, like that's something that's like, yeah, not expert service. Why? Because you said so? Because you said you're an expert in service? Because you said you're the best. Um, so long, long answer short, right? Headline. To me, headline is, is, is the game changer. Yeah, because the research shows that people, 80% of people only read a headline. And a lot of times, if it's an article or something, I'm sure you do this, I do this myself. If it's interesting enough, then I'll keep reading. But only 20% of people really make it to, this goes for, for landing pages, for any sort of copy. It's like the headline is 80% yeah. of what people, the only thing they'll see. Yeah. Right. And I, and I think that the reason why we see this increase, right, even more so, and like I've noticed this amongst my peers, families, and friends, right? And just when I'm meeting people out, networking event, whatever it might be, a lot of people like to talk about what they read in the news, what's going on in the news, but it's also very limited, their knowledge to just the headline, where the headline is really what people remember. Like the headline is what got them. Sometimes they read the article, sometimes they don't, but they'll talk as if they know about it because of the headline, right? Where it could be, all I need is the headline to get the click. Once I'm on the website, I'm gonna have to read the literature. But as long as the headline, the, the goal of that headline is to get the click. Like I'll even say like, I don't really care if they're reading the primary text or not. I just want them to click through and take action. So if the headline can do that without primary text, by all means, let's go for it. Um, just one last question. So just so to give uh, listeners a few action tips. So what are either one or a handful of, what are the most important things that like, if you have tips for B2B marketers specifically, or just in general, uh, they need to know about running paid ads. But I know you covered a lot of it within what we just talked about, but is there anything in particular that they really need to know? Yeah. I, I mean, I feel like everybody says this a lot. I think you say it a lot too, right? It's benefit over the features, like not just your feature. What is the benefit? Understand the benefit, understand your customer, respect your customer, understand the platform, respect your platform partners, right? And their rules. And really it's having a roadmap. Not to say that you may deviate from your roadmap, but you need to know where you're trying to go. Meaning, what is going to be the testing methodology? And, and having, right, and respecting what a, an experiment actually is. We're not just going to test just to test. We need to run an experiment where your fifth grade science teacher would be proud that he or she taught you fifth grade science, right? We have a hypothesis. We have our control. We have our independent variable. We then have our conclusion. We then have our abstract, right? And what is always a part of an experiment that it can be tested again, duplicated by another peer, and the results should be the same. So it's having that testing methodology, 
that is actually a testing methodology that you can take actions off of that testing methodology. And then a very deep understanding of your business objectives and your business metrics so that you could do a measurement methodology that makes sense, right? We don't really care about cost per click. We don't really care about click through rate. If the end goal is revenue, then we need to think about a blended cost per purchase, cost per action. Well, it's a CPA, right? We need to know what the blended goal is, or we need to backtrack what the blended historical is and see if we can reduce it 10, 20%. Now, at the same time, for me, the two core metrics to know success for your advertising is blended CPA, cost per action, whether that's a purchase or a demo booked call or whatever you want to weight that as, right? That's that's your action. So cost per action, cost of acquiring a customer, those two are vital. If you know what your cost per action is and your cost to acquire a customer and you're succeeding in either stabilizing that month over month while scaling your budget or able to reduce it while scaling your budget, you're in a pretty great place. Now, as a third indicator, blended return on ad spend, which is blended ROAS, is a nice gut check to have, but you can't really control ROAS, right? That's just a, a ratio that's basically spitting out your cost per purchase, like just in a different in a different way. But it's important to track it, but also notice it doesn't carry over LTV, right? Like in our ROAS calculation, we actually don't know, we don't factor in the lifetime value of that acquired customer. So that's something that I, I know people are obsessed with ROAS and I kind of say, it's nice to look at, but you can't really take a lot of actions about it. Really the, the two levers that you can control are cost per purchase and cost of acquiring a customer. Um, and with those two, what you really can control is your creative testing, right? If you're seeing costs starting to go up, you need to iterate some more testing um, and focus on that. Great. Yeah, that's really great advice. Well, thank you so much for your time, Alex. I really appreciate it. And where can people find you if they want to know more about what you do or if they want to find out more about you? So I'm active on LinkedIn, um, Alexander Ferenzi. Um, difficult last name to spell, but it's over here in the Zoom, so hopefully people can catch it. Um, I'm not that active on Twitter, although I'm striving to become more active on Twitter. Um, really, it's it's find me on LinkedIn. Um, if you send me a DM there, I'm probably going to respond in the next 24 hours. Every 24 hours, I'm on it. Um, so yeah, LinkedIn. Great. Well, thanks again for your time. I really appreciate it. This has been great. Absolutely, Linda. Been enjoying the your videos on LinkedIn in the past, and just glad I could be on one with you now. So thank you for having me on. Thank you. Okay, so that wraps up today's episode. I hope you found it valuable. And if you did and you enjoyed it, please be sure to share it with friends and business associates who may find it of interest as well. Thanks so much for listening and be sure to follow me on LinkedIn or you can reach out to me through my website at thecopyworks.com and we'll talk to you soon.